to Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. If you have a pew Bible, you can grab your pew Bible, and that's going to be page 861. In a moment, I'm going to have Charlie Capaldi come up, and he's going to read for us from the scriptures this evening. Charlie Capaldi's coming up. He's the son. Yeah, give up for Charlie. Come on, Charlie. Come on. Get up here. Come on. Yep. He's going to read for us. Charlie Capaldi is the son of Mike Capaldi, who Mike's right down here. Uh, Mike is actually going to be preaching tonight, and we're excited to have Mike preach. I don't want to take away anything from what he's going to be preaching on, but just to introduce you to Mike, Mike has been here with his wife, Lisa, and Charlie for how many years now? Three years? Three or four years? Awesome. But he's also been serving down at Riverside very faithfully, and so just a little sneak peek. He's going to be preaching and giving us an update on Riverside, and we're, we're excited for that, but I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let Charlie read, and then Mike is going to come up and preach for us. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Thank you, Charlie. Hello, Cornerstone. It's great to be with you today. That is, that is my son, Charlie, and I'm not going to lie, that's one of the proudest moments uh, that I've had in his life thus far. So what, what a privilege. What a privilege. Thank you, Charlie. And it's a privilege to be with all of you tonight to bring you God's Word. We're going to continue in our worship tonight. The purpose of coming together is to worship, but also to review God's Word together. And we're going to review what Charlie just read to you. But I'm also going to share some important information with you about an update to one of Cornerstone's longest standing ministries. And you heard Kyle spoil it for you there a little bit, Riverside. But it's an absolute privilege, as I said, to be with you. Please keep your Bibles open. We'll be referring to that text. And in fact, maybe as we get started, I'll share my favorite riddle with you. The folks at Riverside hear this every week. I know they get sick of it. But what, do, what does a Bible and a parachute, what do those two things have in common? Yeah, a lot of people will say they're life-saving, and that's true, but fundamentally they only work when they're open. Thank you, in the back there. So let's keep them open tonight as we go through God's Word. Now, do I, are there any folks here tonight who are visiting for the very first time? For the very first time. No first-timers? That's okay. Well, I wanted to share with you the first time I visited Cornerstone. In fact, it was about 21 years ago. I had just moved here from Ohio, and we were looking for a Bible-preaching church to attend in the Lehigh Valley. And so uh, Cornerstone's reputation preceded itself as, as that type of church. And so we visited the church, of course, on March Street, because 21 years ago, we weren't meeting here yet. And um, I'll never forget pulling up. Uh, I was a little confused, driving around several times looking for the parking lot. And I couldn't find the parking lot, as you can relate. But I remember walking into the main entrance that day and seeing on the wall a large map. 
And as I investigated it a little bit closer, it was clear that it was part of a plan to build a new church. And it appeared that that plan was centered in the maybe Forks Township, Lower Nazareth area. Now, having come from the Midwest and, and frankly, a church that had done the exact same thing, moved from a college campus out into the outskirts of town and created or built a large facility, I thought this seemed promising. Now, I didn't ultimately attend Cornerstone thereafter. We were fortunate to be invited by some friends to, to another faithful church in the valley. But I also remember years later hearing about how Cornerstone had changed its plans from that building in the suburbs, if you will, to actually moving their focus down here, downtown. And without knowing all of the details, I just remember being impressed by that. I thought, here's a thriving church that had a capital plan to build a building, and yet they changed their priority to serve and hear the calling in their own community. Really impressed by that. And you know, that calling was more than just buying a building. That calling led to action. And you know, one of the actions is what you've heard about already, and that is Riverside. And you know, long before God blessed us with this South Street campus building, your faithfulness, Cornerstone's faithfulness, was evident in the community. One such example was spawned by David Barry and his wife, Laura, along with several others. And as I understand the history from Laura and others, it was the late 2000s, and Cornerstone had just completed, I think, a weekend of service, similar to the Let's Go service that we completed in the past spring. And as part of that, I think it was called on-ramp, David Barry specifically felt called to do this on a weekly basis instead of just a one-time event. And so as, as uh, Laura told me one night on a Monday night on, her, on his way from work, he called her and asked Laura to pull together five or six hamburgers and package them up and meet her or meet him down at the Riverside Park along Larry Holmes Drive here, you know, the one with the large amphitheater next to the toll bridge. And they were, the reason they were going there is David had found that several of the homeless in the area were actually living or taking shelter under the toll bridge down there. And the amphitheater and Riverside Park was a place where they would congregate. So David and Laura and several other volunteers took the food down there spoke to the individuals, prayed with them, shared the gospel with them. And they did that the following Monday and every single Monday that entire summer. Now, amazingly, God in his providence, once, once again, it didn't rain one Monday night that whole summer because they were meeting at the park. It didn't rain one Monday night. Now, as you can imagine, word spreads across the community, especially in the homeless community, where needs are being met, especially basic needs. And so these Monday night gatherings started to grow and dozens of people were showing up on a weekly basis. And again, Cornerstone stepped up with volunteers who came together to prepare food, to share the gospel and pray with the Riverside people. Now, eventually they needed to move indoors and partnered with another church downtown. Again, this was before the South Street campus had been purchased. But then God, as he always does, provided in a big way. He provided an opportunity to purchase this facility, which was not only in the middle of downtown and the people's needs who were being met, but has an industrial-grade kitchen up to code in the basement. 
Imagine that. And so the crowds of Riverside, which is what the ministry has, has come to be known as, were growing. It was upwards of 75 to 100 people, eventually well over 100 people right up until around COVID. And so these people came for a meal, they came for worship, and they came to hear the gospel. Now, to this day, there are uh, nearly 13 years later, every Monday night, Riverside still meets downstairs in the fellowship hall. And we have the opportunity to serve to minister and love so many of the vulnerable people within our community here. There's a faithful group of volunteers who show up every Monday night. I know some of them are here. I see a couple of them up there in the peanut gallery. We see Lisa and Jamie. I think I see Pam back there. How about a show of hands if you've ever served at Riverside? Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. I have, a, I have a list of 50 names that I would love to read, but time does not permit, of the faithful servants of our Lord who have had their fingerprints on the Riverside ministry over the years. My wife Lisa and I were invited by Larry Moore about two years ago to begin serving, and I can't even begin to describe to you what a blessing that's been for us. Even though we're serving others, the growth in my own life and my own walk with the Lord as a result of loving his people and showing his compassion to others is really life-changing. So I'll share more about Riverside's future a little bit later, but now let's focus on God's word that we heard earlier from Charlie. And we're going to focus, uh, continue on in our summer with the sun, and that's the study of Luke. And we're in chapter 5, again, verses 12 through 16. And as we dig deeper into this text, I want to highlight four points of further interpretation for us. Just four points. I'm going to give those to you up front. First, I want to talk about the condition of leprosy. Then we'll talk about the consequences of leprosy. Third, we'll focus on the courage of this leper. And lastly, we'll observe and learn from the compassion of Jesus and how he deals with this leper. So let's take a little bit of time with, with each of those and further illuminate our text today. Let's start with the condition. You know, when it comes to disease in the ancient world, they didn't have the benefit of some of the modern sciences like biology. They couldn't understand the underlying conditions, the physiological problems with certain illnesses and what caused them. So most of the illnesses or diseases were identified by physical symptoms, especially those that were, you could see with the naked eye. Now, out of all of the illnesses in the ancient world, none were feared more than leprosy. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's important that we understand the severity of leprosy and the disease at that time, especially in the midst of Jesus's ministry. Now, the Greek term for leprosy is lepros, which means scaliness in English, and it speaks to the visible nature of the skin condition as a result of leprosy. It's noticed when the skin begins to develop white and pinkish, pat, pinkish patches of skin, mostly on the forehead, nose, and on the ears. Now, it's a long-progressing disease, takes at times 20, 10 to 20 years, 
and it's very torturous to the victim that has it. It was highly contagious, mostly incurable, and for the most part meant a fatal or death sentence for those who contracted it. It wasn't until the 1800s that a man named Hansen discovered the modern version of leprosy, which is known now as Hansen's disease, and he identified that the disease attacks the neural pathway, and it affects the victim's ability to feel pain in the affected areas. And so much of the eroded flesh or the scaliness that came with leprosy was a result of the individual not being able to feel pain and literally scratching away at their own skin. So for example, a simple pebble in the sandal of a leper would have been unknown to them because of the neuro damage in their foot and it could cause large gaping holes from walking over it day after day after day. Now since then, there have been treatments discovered for the disease and, and it's not nearly as fatal as it once was. You might be interested to know that in 2020, just two years ago, there were roughly 127,000 cases of leprosy detected by the World Health Organization. That's about 17 people per one million. So it's fairly rare nowadays. But in the ancient times, the time of this leper, it had significant consequences. Let's talk about the consequences next. As I mentioned, it was taken very seriously in the ancient world, especially the Jewish people who had specific instructions from God on how to diagnose it, what to do when it was contracted, and how to respond if someone would appear to be cured. Now, these can be found in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. If you have time to look at those later, you'll be quite interested. They're very thorough. I think chapter 13 is about 60 verses and 14 is, is equally as long. And if you review those chapters, you'll see that it was the priest's job to identify and confirm the disease. So how would they do that? Well, let's look at the text, just a short snippet of it. Leviticus chapter 13, verses 40 through 44. And the priest's job was to observe the individual. And you'll see it says in the text, if a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. And if you're supposed to laugh at that, it's okay, guys. <laughs> if a man's hair falls out of his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. I see some foreheads out there as well. But if there is a bald head or a bald forehead that has reddish-white diseased area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest will examine him throughout, and if the disease swelling is reddish-white on the bald head or the bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. And the priest must pronounce unclean his disease on his head. Now, the first consequence of having to go to a priest because you're suspected of being a leper is a consequence in and of itself, right? I mean, I liken it to a modern-day IRS audit. When you get that letter, you're thinking to yourself, this is not going to go well, right? They're going to find something. And so the lepers would go to the priest, and more times than not, when they were identified, they were called unclean, and they were lepers, and so once the leprosy was confirmed by the priests and they were considered unclean, the consequences were devastating. First of all, they were cast out of the city. They were cast out of society, living in the outskirts 
of, of town. They were only allowed to be around other lepers. Lepers could come no closer to clean people other than six feet upwind and 140 feet downwind. Now, I know some of our COVID restrictions on, so, on social distancing were tough, but 140 feet, can you imagine that? Now, if they didn't adhere to some of these rules, they could be punished and even stoned. So they lived in fear. They were cut off from contact with their family and their loved ones. They often became beggars. They, they had to shout unclean as people were walking towards them to warn them that they were lepers. Imagine that, as people are walking towards, towards you, having to tell them that you're unclean. They were easily ignored. They were easily dismissed. Oftentimes, people thought they probably did that to themselves somehow. And perhaps the worst part was this constant feeling of embarrassment, fear, and shame. Now, there are people throughout our society who might feel the same way, shamed, ostracized, cut off from families and friends. Well, by now, I hope you have a better understanding of the condition of leprosy and some of the consequences associated with it. With that background now, let's look at the amazing courage of this leper. I'm going to draw you, your attention to the text again at verse 12. Now, you recall from last week's message that Jesus had begun his healing ministry by healing Peter's mother-in-law, and then right after that, healing many others. So clearly, he, clearly, word was spreading. And as we pick up the text in verse 12, it says, while he, he was in one of the cities, he being Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So here we have this poor soul who could literally be stoned if he broke any of the rules associated with infecting others. And despite that, he comes into one of the cities, from the outskirts into one of the cities and approaches Jesus directly, begging this time for healing. Now, as you can imagine, with all of the hearings and miracles that Jesus had been doing, word must have been spreading that this Jesus was performing these miracles. In fact, spreading so far, even to the outskirts of town where the lepers live. And he sought out Jesus directly because of what he heard from those around him. It's an ancient world example of the effectiveness of evangelism, right? That even hearing from other lepers that Jesus can save, this leper had the courage to seek out Jesus. And he had other characteristics as well. He was clearly desperate. He was clearly desperate to be able to show that courage to seek out Jesus. Maybe he was near death. You know, Luke, who was a physician, points out the fact that he was full of leprosy. It wouldn't be a stretch to believe that this man was close to death or dying because of that leprosy. So he was desperate. Another characteristic, though, that he shows us is his reverence. Notice it says, as he approached Jesus, he fell on his face and even called him Lord. So even though he was an outcast and seen as less than a dog in society, he had the reverence for our Savior and to know that Jesus was Lord. He also begged Jesus. Notice he didn't demand him. He said, if you will, if you will. And finally, he showed great faith. 
Because after asking him, if you will, he said, you can make me clean. So from hearing the accounts of Jesus and his miracles, this leper had enough faith to approach Jesus directly, asking him and knowing that he could be healed. Now, friends, while this passage isn't directly about sin and, the, the co- and a correlation with leprosy, it's kind of difficult to not draw that similarity, isn't it? I mean, man's fallen sinful nature, like leprosy, leads to death. I mean, Romans, Paul told us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin are death. And yet this man is a graphic illustration of how the penitent sinner comes to Christ. You see, as sinners, we need the healing power of Jesus as much as the leper did. And when a penitent sinner like this leper comes to the place in their life where the condition of sin and the consequences associated lead them to the place that they know that Jesus is the only way, then they come desperately, reverently begging and having the faith to believe. We now turn to our Lord's response to the leper and the leper's courage and take a look at the compassion that he showed for the leper. Verse 13 tells us that as Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now Mark's account of, of this healing points out that Jesus was even moved to pity. And so we see his compassion in how he responded. He was moved to pity, but also despite the Old Testament's teaching on uncleanness, Leviticus 5.3 said that you can't touch a leopard. Jesus stretches out his hand immediately and touches him. And Jesus, in doing so, also verbalized his willingness to do it by saying, I will. And he exhibits his sovereign power over everything, in this case disease, be clean, to heal this man. I will be clean through his touch. Now, if you scan Jesus's healings, if you take time to study Jesus's healings throughout the New Testament, you'll see that one of the key features of them are that they are immediate. The healings are immediate. Just as it says in verse 13, the leprosy, immediately the leprosy left him. So they're immediate and they're effective. You see, Jesus had many miracles in the area of disease, also demons and death. And you'll note as you review those healings or removal of of demons or raising someone from the dead like Lazarus, that it's immediate. It's immediate and effective. Now, time permitting, we could extend this text and maybe have a fifth and a sixth point of this particular passage. We could talk about Jesus' command to the leper through Moses, as we see in 14, where he told him to go see the high priest. Interestingly enough, if you read Leviticus 14, you'll see what's prescribed in order to confirm that somebody's leprosy has in fact been gone. We could also review Jesus's commitment to prayer 
and how he withdrew. Even though there were more opportunities to do healings, he withdrew to desolate places to pray because of his commitment to his father. But today, I want us to focus on this opportunity to apply the compassion that we've seen in Jesus to our own lives. So as I prepared this message this week, I was drawn to two logical applications for our lives from this particular passage, depending on your own individual condition. First, for anyone here who is a non-believer, who perhaps you're here tonight, you haven't received the grace that comes from the healing power of Jesus. Perhaps like leprosy, the condition of sin has filled you and, and you're suffering the consequences of those sins. And believers, this happens to us at times too. Then courageously seek Jesus like the desperate leper did and simply ask, no, no, beg him to make you clean, to make me clean. He can and he will immediately. If that application is for you and you'd like to talk to some of us, please seek us out. Seek us out today. We want to share more about that journey and help you to, to receive the healing that you're seeking. Now, those of us who are in this room who are believers, and we've received the salvation that comes from Christ and the hope that comes from that, I hope that you've been inspired today by our Lord's compassion for this poor man, this poor leper. And just as Paul told the church in Ephesus, we want to respond to that receipt of grace. And as a reminder, Paul tells us that it was by grace that we've been saved through faith and not of our own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And here's, here's the key to the compassion, the compassion that was shown to us through that grace. Now, we're reminded by Paul in verse 10 that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for those good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. We can walk in the good works that he's prepared. And as Jesus modeled for us as well and tells us in his word in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, for even the son of man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, as followers or disciples of Jesus, we're called to follow that example. And so with that second application in mind, I've got an amazing opportunity for you to serve and help us to continue the great compassion of our Lord, as well as of Cornerstone through the Riverside ministry. Earlier, I walked you through the history of Riverside. Now let me tell you a little bit about the future. So consistent with our new vision as, as a church, as Cornerstone Church, which is the multiply by three vision, and that vision is, remember, multiply what? Worshipers, multiply disciples, thank you, and also multiply churches. And so with that vision in mind, as we think about Cornerstone, it's a great opportunity for us to in order to do that to our best ability, it's an opportunity for us to simplify, shift, and spread. And so as, 
as a result of pursuing that vision, that biblical vision, we're gonna be transitioning the Riverside ministry from a standalone Monday night service to integrating it into our Saturday night worship services. And so the first integrated service will happen in the fall on Saturday, September 10th. So that's about two months from now. And essentially what we're going to be doing is the way it works on Monday night now is we invite our guests to come to, to Cornerstone South Street Campus. We lead them in worship. We share the word of God with them. We share a meal and pray with them and everybody goes home. So rather than doing that separately on Monday night, we're going to bring them to our worship service here and lead them in worship and let them hear God's word preached faithfully. And then after the service, invite them downstairs for a meal and a time of fellowship. And so this will be, as you can imagine, a major change, a major change for our Riverside guests, a major change for our current volunteers, some of them are here tonight, but also a major change for our congregation, especially Saturday night, because this is the service where we're hoping to integrate our Riverside guests to be part of the worship and discipleship here. So with that as a backdrop, you'll learn more about that in the coming weeks. How can you help? How can you help tonight? This is my call to action, if you will. First, there are three things I'm asking from all of us here. First, will you pray for the transition? Will you pray for the transition? It's about eight to nine weeks from now. And especially for the change to our guests at Riverside. You know, our guests at Riverside also live in the outskirts of town. They're also oftentimes ostracized from friends and family or the community in general. In fact, the world doesn't provide them with a whole lot of consistency. Monday nights, oftentimes, is that consistent place where they know they can come, be fed, be loved, be prayed with. So pray for our Riverside guests. We're going to communicate this to them on Monday night that we're making this change and then take several weeks thereafter to help them, encourage them, let them know that they're going to be loved as part of the Saturday night service. Secondly, if you're moved through our Lord's compassion that we see here or just a call to serve in general, then I'm asking you to prayerfully consider volunteering and I can tell you that the volunteer opportunity is not every Saturday night, uh, like those who serve every Monday night. We're, we're intending to build enough crews so that you would serve, let's say, once a month, maybe even once every six weeks. And in doing so, uh, it would essentially be an hour before the service to do a little bit of setup and prep, stay an hour afterwards to do some serving and some cleanup. You'll still get your worship service in, so you won't have to miss the service. And I know there'll be more questions, but for now, I just want you to pray and consider if you'd like to be a part of it. We were supposed to have sermon guides here today, um, and we're good, Kyle. We actually do have them. Wonderful. You'll notice on those sermon guides that my information is on there, my number and my email address. If you have questions or thoughts that you'd like to share with me, please reach out to me in these coming weeks. Also know too that we'll be pulling together some informational and training sessions. We'll do those on Zoom to make them convenient for people between now and the September 10th transition. What a great opportunity for community groups 
who are looking to serve together, come on a Saturday night maybe once a month or even less than that. And finally, the third thing that I'm asking for your help with is when the transition occurs, looking forward to September 10th, would you do what you always do, Cornerstone? Would you show the compassion to the community here by walking, welcoming them in, making them feel welcome in the sanctuary? I will tell you how now having served there for a couple of years, many of them will try to avoid and sit away from you because of their shyness and the fear that they live with, just part of being in the community here. But I know that you all will make them feel welcome, will spend time with them, will pray with them. And if you serve with us, you can even go further. So with that, I want to thank you for your attention tonight. I'm going to close us in prayer. As I do so, the worship team is going to come up and get set up for one more song before we dismiss tonight. But let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we love you because you loved us first. And we also know that your love is steadfast. It endures forever. You loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to come, to serve, to minister, to heal. And give us a model for serving and loving others, Lord. And I pray that tonight we will have been inspired to serve more in our families, in our communities, to disciple others. And Father, if hearts were stirred tonight to consider being a part of the amazing legacy of the Riverside ministry, that you would bring those volunteers forward, that they would, they would feel compelled to serve you in that way. But Lord, regardless, may we, may we love our community, may we disciple, may we share the gospel with all that we come in contact with, knowing that you will be with us all the way. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.